Mark your calendars. Canada's Agriculture Day is on February 22nd, 2022. Canadians from coast to coast will be celebrating the food that we love and the people who produce it. On February 22nd, celebrate Canadian agriculture and food both online with friends, family, and coworkers, and let everyone know how you feel about this awesome industry. Learn more about Canada's Agriculture Day and how you can join in the celebration by heading to the link in today's show notes. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Kate Schatt. Kate, along with her husband and five children, have always enjoyed living a homemade life whenever possible. And after moving 1,000 miles north in 2017 to northern British Columbia, they upped their game even more. They now live on a 34-acre homestead and get a kick out of things like raising their own meat, dairy, and vegetables. Kate is open and shares the good as well as the not-so-good in a genuine and authentic way through her online platform, Venison for Dinner. I am very excited for you guys to get to know more about Kate and her homesteading journey. Before we get to Kate's interview, let's go over this week's listener review. This five-star rating and review comes from Purple Stem via Apple Podcast, and it is titled The Best. What a fun and informative podcast. Every guest is engaging and likable, and Caitlin is smart and funny. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating and review, and be sure to send me your mailing address uh, so I can send you (laughs) your check for saying such nice things about me over on Apple Podcast. If you, my friend, have been listening to the show and have been enjoying it, I highly encourage you to leave a rating and review wherever it is that you get your podcast from. This way, it helps others find out about the show and we get the incredible stories of women in agriculture out there into the world even more. And I want to say a big hello and welcome to our newest Patreon member, Allie L. Allie has joined us at tier 10 over on Patreon, which means she gets some really neat things, including ad-free listening, as well as all of the other audio extras for the podcast, which includes an extended interview with our guest today, Kate, where we dive into the business end of all of Kate's online ventures, which was a really great nerdy deep dive for me. If you know me and you know the podcast that I like listening to, I really enjoy entrepreneurship and business and all of those maybe not so fun things. But Kate was gracious enough to chat with me today in that extended interview. So Allie, you'll be getting that as well as all of the other perks of being a patron of the Rural Woman podcast. And if you, my friend, are interested in supporting the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Kate. 
Hello, Kate. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. I am so excited to chat with you this afternoon. How are you? I am doing lovely. I am glad to be here. I have admired your podcast for a long time, so I'm honored to be a guest. Thank you. As we were chatting about before we hit record, I feel like we have so many mutual friends. So I just feel like I'm just sitting here chatting with a girlfriend over a cup of whatever it is today. So <laughs> I feel like when you're in Canada, you feel like any other Instagrammer that's in Canada. It's like, oh, hey, friends. Right? We're basically neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, for my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, tell us how you got your start in agriculture. So I grew up in a farming family that was no longer farming. My grandparents had got out of farming by the time I was born, but they still owned the property and the infrastructure. They had been primarily sheep farmers on a small island in west coast of Canada where sheep thrive because it's really rocky and hilly and sheep thrive and there's lots of people that farm sheep there. So when I was in my, I don't think I was even in my teens yet, when I started getting interested in raising livestock and my parents are like, well, we live on a chunk of your grandparents' farm. We have a barn, we have fencing. Like, sure, why not? So we started with chickens and then we got some sheep. We had a couple beef cows. We had a horse. We, I think we've had everything except for donkeys and llamas. I just was so fascinated by the idea of growing my own food. And my mom was a cheerleader and my grandparents helped me out, you know, coming up at 10 o'clock at night when a pig was giving birth, just were so there for us. And even though they weren't in it anymore, they had all the knowledge and they all just encouraged me. And even when I failed, like if something died, cause something always dies, they never made me feel like a failure and they just were constantly cheerleading me. That is such a neat experience for you. What do you think it was about raising livestock at such a young age that was so interesting to you? I've always beat to my own drum and I've never had a lot of friends. Uh, like in school, I didn't have a lot of friends. And when you walk into a barn, okay, I'm getting all choked up. <laughs> they love you. They're happy to see you. You have unconditional acceptance. You always have a job. You always have a purpose. There's always someone needing you. And that really fulfilled a part in my life when my older sisters were growing up and moving out and my parents were divorcing and the animals were always there. They were always there. Oh, we're getting misty. I don't think, even think we've been talking for five minutes yet, Kate. So <laughs> that is a, such a beautiful way to explain it. And it's so simple when you think about it. You know, if we're talking to an urbanite, why do they have pets? You know, they make a mess in their house. You have to clean up their excrement from a box and all of these things, right? So much money to take your small animal to a vet. But it's the fact that this thing relies on you and for the most part, only you, and they just love you unconditionally. So that is great. I think that's a beautiful way to dive into more of these topics. So you got your start quite young as a teenager. Uh, tell us what your journey was like from then until now. So I had my oldest when I was 17. And, you know, baby daddy is now my husband, Marius. And 
the first time he ever spent time with my family, we butchered chickens together. And he had grown up in a farming community where he was always helping friends on their farms. Like if you went for a sleepover, well, you had to milk cows in the morning. That's just how it went. So while his family only had the odd chickens, they had a big garden. It was the normal for him as well to be raising his own food. And we just dove into it together. We both love eating good food. We couldn't afford to buy good food. So we started raising it. We started making goals. Like when Mac was born that first winter, we were like, what if we didn't eat any meat except for what we raised? And then the next winter, it was like, okay, what if we saw how long we could go only buying vegetables that were grown in our province and just challenged ourselves in these different ways? And we always kind of went to an extremist point of it and then kind of dialed back into like what was realistic. And slowly we made over our life in these different ways. One was moving from Salt Spring Island, where we had our first three kids to Northern BC, because it's a lot more affordable to have a lot of land up here. So we don't have a lot of land, but we have 34 acres that are very fertile. We live in a really lush valley and we can grow so much amazing food here. That to me is just such an interesting goal to have. And I think about it now, back then when you started these goals, to where we are now and the state of the world that we live in and whatever happened to people in 2020 where they went to grocery stores and there wasn't food on the shelf and there wasn't meat in the coolers and people started to panic. And I think these goals are becoming more and more common. At least we see them being shared on social media. How do you start this goal? How do you start growing your own food and making it a sustainable thing for people who are listening, who are like, I think I would like to have a goal like this, but how do you go about doing that? Try to do it all at once. You'll burn yourself out for sure. I would pick something you're already doing. Like say you already have laying hens. Well, could you try meat birds? They're not an entirely different species. And could you try raising 50 meat birds? And now you have your year's worth of chicken, you know, depending on your family size, right? Um, you know, you already grow a garden. Could you try growing a year's worth of broccoli for the freezer, right? Like say broccoli grows well for you. What would it take to grow a year's worth? And the math my grandma always taught me is like, if we wanted to eat a quart of pears every week, well, then I need to can 50 quarts. So, you know, say we're taking broccoli. We want to eat broccoli twice a week. Well, we need to grow you know, X amount of plants to make our goal. And just taking it that way and trying just one thing at a time, because whenever you try to scale up something, you're going to find new issues that you didn't have before when you raised small scale. And there's been some things that we try to raise large scale, like meat birds, and decide that we really, really don't like it and go back to raising just for ourselves. Yeah, for sure. So tell us what you're raising on your property now and everything that is included with that. Okay. So my very favorite part of our farm is our milk cows. They are the queen of the farm. And if you can figure out having a milk cow, they just give to your farm in so many ways from food for your belly to food to supplement other feed bills to fertility for your garden and your land. Like a milk cow is a really amazing thing on a homestead. 
We have pigs, a boar and a sow that we breed. And for, we have four that we're raising for meat as well. So pork is something we sell. We had a couple steers that we butchered this fall. We have three dairy cows in various states of like young to pregnant to milking and such. We have lots of laying hens. I don't know how many, 30, I couldn't tell you. But we started last year hatching from our own flock and selecting to raise big hardy chickens that are a sturdy winter chicken, but then the roosters are also substantial enough that we eat those and we don't raise meat birds. And that was way more enjoyable than the Cornish cross for us. We have a couple dogs. Dogs are essential on a fires and coyotes and things to protect our kids and our livestock. We have goats, two milk goats, because our youngest child can't have cow's milk. So, We've been feeding him a goat's milk formula and it's not always super available to get with supply chains. So we decided that we needed to shorten that supply chain and get milk goats. So they have babies this month. Like you, we are cat ranchers. I don't know how many cats we have. My guess is five to six. I really couldn't tell you. They're outside, they're inside, they're, I don't have an exact number. We have quail. That's my husband's project thing. He loves his little quail. And then we have five kids. That's a project. (laughs) And we have a beautiful big garden when it's not covered in snow. That is a whole lot of things on that piece of property, Kate. And, you know, if having five children wasn't enough, having all of those other things to keep alive and, you know, cat ranching, it is not for the faint of heart. So no, cat ranching ain't easy. (laughs) No, it ain't easy. (laughs) So with your garden, are you producing specifically just for your family or are you able to produce food for your community as well? We live in a community of people who either value good food so much that they raise it themselves or they don't care and they want it on sale. So there isn't the biggest market for selling produce unless we were to go to a farmer's market, which we're not interested in doing. We've tried just selling bulk things when we have excess harvest and pretty much never have takers. They're either raising it themselves or they don't want to spend the money that it costs to raise it. So the one thing that is the exception there is we grow an epic amount of potatoes, thousands of pounds, and family comes and helps us dig them. And then we store them in our root cellar and they get potatoes all winter in exchange for helping dig. That's a pretty good swap. I I think potatoes for some labor is okay for me. (laughs) Yeah. And Marius has a bad back. And this year he managed to not dig a single potato. That's a win. We had enough people over a weekend that he just kept them supplies with crate, supplied with crates and, you know, shuffled crates back to the house on the quad and never had to dig a plant. So that was pretty neat. That was a yeah, huge blessing for us that we had enough helpers that he didn't have to dig. That is so great. So let's talk about the five kiddos for a bit. So not only do you have all of this going on on the homestead on the outside, you're also homeschooling your kiddos. So What are your best tips for staying organized when it comes to homeschooling? So depending on where you live, you're going to have different standards that you might have to follow for how you homeschool. 
And we're really fortunate here that it's fairly loose. We do have a teacher, like a BC registered teacher that we report to. And this gives the kids a transcript so they could seamlessly go into post-secondary education. We are on the unschooling side of homeschooling. So we do book work six months a year. And then the other six months a year, the kids are learning by doing. Because why do I need to do a project about rock picking? Not rock picking, about like types of rocks. When they're going to rock pick a hay field and see all these rocks in person and compare and contrast naturally because children are curious. So we really embrace a lot of that. People feel they have to do school at home and homeschool looks totally different. So we find that a routine, so kids know what to expect. We do school at 9 a.m. every day because then they know to expect that. And then it goes better and we're done in an hour or two, depending on what we're doing that day. And Marius is a stay-at-home dad now in the last 18 months. So he actually homeschools the kids now. That's even better for you. <laughs> I'm the principal. I make sure they have appropriate workbooks and print stuff off for them. And he does it with them now. And that's something that I never thought he would do. And then he just really got interested in it and really loves doing it with them. Hey, that's great. And, you know, and there's so many more people who got into homeschooling over the last two years, whether it was because it was an interest or a necessity for them. And I always praise, you know, teachers, whether they're in the home or at the school in a standard setting. But like you said, I think kids learn in so many unique ways and being able to offer that to your kids to learn in the field, essentially, versus sitting in a classroom, I think is going to be a great way for the next generation of farmers and homesteaders and ranchers and all of these things to be able to continue to learn about the land that we live on and what it needs and what it doesn't need. So congrats to you and bravo to you for doing that with so many children. <laughs> you know what, though, like, homeschooling is hard, but sending kids to school is hard too. Yeah. Every choice has its hard. Which hard do you want? Absolutely. Like in winter, we hibernate. Like the kids got up at eight this morning and then drank tea before they went out and did their livestock chores. The school bus comes by at 10 to eight in the morning. I would have to get them up so early to go do everything, to get everything going and get them out the door. And that's stressful because I actually used to do that. Our oldest went to school for a couple of years. And that was harder for me, getting them all out the door in the morning. So very true. Pick your own hard and whatever that hard looks like for you. So Kate, I loved hearing your story from the back end, the things that you shared with me about what being a homesteader meant to you. And that's one of the things that drew me to you. When you think of a stereotypical homestead what are some of the things that either come to your mind or that you see shared online quite often? So there's kind of this juxtaposition where we live in an area with a lot of homesteads. So I see a lot of homesteads in real life. And then you see how people depict them on Instagram. And they don't show that this side of the barn is covered with a tarp and there's an extension cord running from the house. And they're trying to only show the beautiful parts, which I do admire because... It is good to see the beauty in things, but it sets an unrealistic expectation where most people don't have a nice barn and, you know, hauling buckets 
from of water from the house is not pretty when there's like a hose thawing in your basement. It's not pretty, but it's real life. I think that's why I strive to show those things because people see the, you know, curated feed from a homesteader and they're like, I could never do that. I won't start. Yeah, it's interesting. And like we were kind of chatting before we started recording the difference between, you know, homesteading versus let's say big egg or people who just live in a beautiful area and all of these things. Like I myself, oh, I get a little like crusty when it comes to curated feeds and all of these things. And I understand the aesthetic beauty of it and perhaps a bit envious of not knowing how to do that myself. But at the same time, knowing that there is the quote, ugly side of living rurally, and whether that is you're on a grain farm, or you're on a ranch, or you're in a homesteading situation where, you know, if you have livestock, you have dead stock, you know, sometimes things don't go the way that you had planned them. Sometimes crops don't come in as nicely as you thought they were going to. So showing I almost think a vulnerable side of you and your business by showing things that don't always work out the way that they should gives people that hope that, you know, even the people who look like they have it all together don't necessarily have it all together all of the time. I think it's super vulnerable to share that stuff too, because while there's 99% of people who are like, thank you so much for sharing that, there's the 1% of people who are like, well, if you'd given your cow a preventative, they wouldn't have got sick like this. And you're like, actually, I did. Right. Like, stuff still happens. Yeah. No matter how hard you try. And I just think, like, it's the double-edged sword of social media and having a community online. You're always going to get that one person who says something or does something that would be, you know, the opposite of what you would have done or gives you suggestions after the fact. Those ones are always my favorite. (laughs) One of the things that you shared with me is not necessarily being a purist homesteader and enjoying some potato chips once in a while. I'm a big potato chip fan myself. So um, tell us what you mean by, you know, being a purist homesteader versus somebody who maybe doesn't identify as that? So there's this whole 80-20 moderation that if you try to be 100% perfect purist all the time, you're going to burn out. There has to be some moderation somewhere. And that's why, like, you know, we have our homegrown potatoes roasted in homegrown tallow, and then we have store-bought ketchup with them because we like store-bought ketchup. That's how we enjoy them. That it doesn't have to be one way or the other. You don't have to. There's this whole thing of if you can't be perfect, don't even start. Like if your bread isn't freshly ground wheat sourdough, just go buy Wonder Bread, right? Like why why are you even bothering? Well, no, it's still good and worthy and great for your family to bake your own bread with whatever flour you buy at the store. And there doesn't need to be this chase of perfection. You can, good enough can be good enough. Done is better than perfect. I think that can be said for most things, right? Not even when it comes to homesteading or your farm. It could 
honestly, done is better than perfect. And if we waited for perfection for all things, first of all, we wouldn't be talking on this podcast. But, you know, there's so many things that wouldn't get done and it's okay to try things. And if they don't work out or if you try it and you don't like it, like you said, you didn't like raising meat birds in the quantities that you were doing. So cutting that back and just raising what you needed for your family, that's okay too. And that doesn't make you a failure. It just means that that wasn't for you. And somebody else can be doing that on their farm or their homestead. Yeah. And we're actually about to get out of breeding pigs because we decided that there's such a large animal that is potentially so dangerous to our kids that it just makes us feel kind of uncomfortable. Even though they're nice pigs, they have the ability to not be nice very easily. And yeah, we just decided that we need to put our energy elsewhere and we'll go back to just buying piglets from another farmer. Right. Yeah. And that works too, right? You can, you just need to find what works for you. And I want to go back to what you talked about before about setting those goals of wanting to be sustainable and to grow all of your own meat and all of these things and having these big goals, but scaling them back when, when or if they become you know, unattainable. It's just like, well, if we're going to raise as much meat as we can and we run out, well, we're not going to starve. There's other avenues of getting this. We just know for next time that either this goal wasn't reasonable, wasn't attainable, or we just need to scale up and do more the next year. Mm -hmm. And and that's like, I think of sustainability, people think like self-sufficient. I have no desire to be self-sufficient. I desire community sufficiency. We buy our hay from one farmer. We buy our grain from another farmer. We're going to be buying piglets from someone else. It's not about self-sufficiency. It's about community sufficiency. Rarely in history was someone self-sufficient. They were community sufficient. That's what they were after. That's what was realistic. Because no one has the bandwidth to do it all. You are so right. And like... It's just the light bulb that goes off in my head. It's why do we think that sustainability means self? No, it means all of us. It's a coherent, you know, ecosystem. When we think of it, we are able to grow things and do things in parts of this country and in the world that others can't. And how do we work together to help our neighbor or supply something to our neighbor that they don't have that we do and vice versa. So I really love that community sufficiency versus self-sufficiency. Let's raise a fork to the food we love and the people who produce it. Canada's Agriculture Day is on February 22nd, 2022. You can celebrate Canadian agriculture and food both online and with friends, family, and co-workers and let everyone know how you feel about this awesome industry. How you celebrate is up to you. Create mouth-watering moments by cooking an all-Canadian meal. Get social and post a photo or video celebrating Canadian Egg and use the hashtag Canadian Egg Day to join the conversation. Just have fun and show your egg pride and make some noise for Canadian agriculture. Join us online for a huge party and to be part of an important conversation. You can get resources, celebration ideas, and more at CanadianEggDay.ca or head to the link in today's show notes.
So you brought up something, a buzzword that I myself have not dove into since 2020, but many other people did. And that's sourdough, Kate. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I know nothing about it. I am scared of it. Tell me what you know. And for the other listeners who are with me who have done nothing with sourdough before, tell us your best tips and tricks for it. So I started sourdough in 2013. So like OG here, right? Like, You're a trailblazer. Not OG, but you know. <laughs> I struggled with it for a while. And then in about 2015, I guess I really took off with it and was able to then, like, we don't buy bread anymore because we can bake all our own bread. And it's not always all sourdough. Like we do bake yeasted bread and such too, because sourdough has longer timelines. So what is magic about sourdough is that if you imagine a grain like it's called a wheat berry. It has this coating called phytic acid. So when a deer goes and eats it, it passes through the deer, the deer poops it out, and that grain can still become a plant and reproduce. So when that grain is ground up, that phytic acid didn't disappear. It's now wrapped up in the flour. And this phytic acid still wants to bind nutrients and take them out of your body because its primary drive is to reproduce and it's missed the memo that it's now flour and not a wheat berry anymore. Sourdough is wild yeast and wild yeast breaks down phytic acid. So your body can digest wheat better. It takes less bread to be more full People who feel bloated and not so great from bread can eat sourdough quite often and thrive. And that's me and one of my kids and why we are so obsessively about sourdough is that we can eat it and enjoy it and feel great. It is so interesting to me, just the absolute phenomenon that came up in 2020. And like you said, you're the trailblazer back in 2013 with uh, your sourdough. You have a ton of resources online through everything that you do on your homestead, including sourdough info and all of that kind of stuff. What was it about everything that you'd learned on your homestead that made you want to share with others? So with the sourdough, most of the sourdough you're going to see is like big holes in the loaf and like chewy crusts and everything. And that's delicious, but it makes a really crappy sandwich. Like your butter melts through the holes. You're like trying to chew through this crust that is a little ridiculous. And my family just didn't like it that much. They wanted soft bread. So I became obsessed with finding soft sourdough recipes that also weren't obsessively measured because so many sourdough recipes are in grams. They have a bazillion steps that overwhelm people. And my signature thing is homesteading without the BS. So how could I sourdough without the BS, right? I don't measure my starter. I go by what it looks like. Ma Ingalls didn't have a scale, right? So right. <laughs> so I think we just get like too obsessive and forget that like sourdough isn't a hipster thing. Sourdough is like is it okay to say peasant? Like peasant food, right? Like sourdough is like the original mainstay food. It's not about it being trendy and bougie 
and all this. It's about it's real food that people could make with so little. It's so funny because the trends and things that come back, like we see it all of the time and our parents have seen it, like things that were cool when they were kids are now like cool again. And, you know, thrift store shopping is now a thing. And it was like when I went to school, if you were caught in a thrift store, like that was like, no, but now it's like, that's where half of my clothes come from and all of these things, right? Like these old things that were staples and you know, something that people survived on now have, you know, so many blogs written about them. There's vlogs, there's TikToks, there's all of these things bringing us back to essentially growing our own and making our own good food. So share with us some other offerings that you have through your homestead and through your online channels that are helping people go back to homesteading without the BS. So in June 2020, I launched the Insiders Club, which is a membership, Homesteading Without the BS, that every month we have a different focus on some sort of handmade, homemade thing. And most of these are things that you can do in an apartment. You don't have to be living on a big farm. There is things like butchering and cheese making that, yeah, are probably going to be if you're you know, in a rural area, but things like soap making and sauerkraut and making salves and tinctures and all these different homemade skills that so often the resources out there are really complex. And I strive to make them as straightforward as possible. And I have public recipes on my blog that all same thing. Like, how can we make this simple? How can we make this sustainable for us to do long-term? If it's complicated, I'm probably not going to do it. Right. And I think that's true for a lot of things. And I think a lot of people, I think it's really neat, the people that are curious and they want to try new things. And I'm the type of person that, yes, I will try something. And if I like it, and it's a little bit hard, okay, but if I'm going to try something and it's so complicated that it takes most of my brain power, I don't have enough brain power for that. So making it simple for anyone, whether they are just starting out or they're looking for just a better way to do things. So having a place where people can go to and turn to and having an online community of like-minded people that you found to be a part of your insiders club. I think, you know, that's obviously what the world needed when they needed it for it to be as successful as you've made it now. Yeah, it kind of, it took off in a way we didn't expect. And like a month or two months after launching it, my husband quit his full-time job. And I told him like, you're going to quit your full-time job. And he's like, cool, but I'll keep working. Like that's, (laughs) that's a neat dream, right? But like, no. That is so neat. So tell us more about your Insiders Club and, you know, what you've learned over the last year and a half by hosting such a thing. I've learned that people crave the connection with like-minded people. We have a Facebook group as kind of just a bonus thing. And I'll see things posted in there like, I just found this awesome score of jars at a garage sale. And I'm sharing it with you guys because... I don't know anybody else that would be this excited about this. Like, I'm having troubles with this bread. Can anybody help me? I don't know anybody else that bakes sourdough. So people have found this like-minded community that they didn't have 
otherwise. And the amount of people that are like, we're literally only on Facebook for this group. Well, and I think the community aspect that has come out of the world that we live in now has been one of the biggest bonuses, maybe the only bonus that has come out of all of this is the community that people have been able to find online that maybe they didn't have before. And this, you know, being one of the only ways that people could have safely connected in whichever time it was. So it's so great to know that this place exists. And for the listeners who didn't know about it, now they do. And you can go get really excited about garage sale jars too. Like I love me a good jar. Like it's great. <laughs> I don't think I've said yet that I'm venison for dinner on like Instagram, YouTube. It's, I don't think I've actually said that yet. We usually leave that to the end, but I'm glad that you said it uh, because, you know, for people who are like, she sounds really familiar. This is Kate from venison for dinner. That's so great. Kate, what are some of the things that you are really proud of that you have accomplished in your homesteading journey? This life for my kids, like this hands-on life. I'm so thankful that we have the privilege and opportunity for our kids to have this life and that they can be outside every day, year round. And they have the privilege of safety of just going outside because that's not a privilege everybody has that it's safe to go outside. Yeah, for sure. I just, it's funny. I, like I've said many times before, I didn't grow up like this. I didn't have the access to raising livestock or being out in the dirt all of the time if I wanted to be all of these things. It was a stereotypical city life. And to see my friends' kids come out here and my nephews and all of these things, to see them being able to interact as a young person, it, blows my mind and to watch you know my friends kids through Instagram grow up the way that they're growing up I'm always really I'm thankful that there's kiddos that are still growing up this way and like you said grateful that they are safe when they are outside and it couldn't be a better life I don't think no it's pretty good yeah Kate my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a homesteader for you the connection to our food. The more we dig into growing our own food, the more I am satisfied with simple meals. Because when you know everything's beginning, suddenly a meal of like meat and potatoes just feels so much more satisfying. Yeah, so good. I lied. I have one more question for you. What's next <laughs> for you? What's happening in 2022 with you, your homestead, and venison for dinner? Oh, uh, I launch another ebook next week. That's all about packable real food. And I honestly am not a long-term planner because I kind of find like man plans, God laughs that we just kind of plan out. We have like trajectories, I guess we have like a trajectory we want to go on. We know we need to make our outside winter infrastructure easier for winter. So like right now, while we're in the midst of winter, we're thinking, okay, what are we doing next summer to make next winter easier? Because there's some major flaws. So that's like a trajectory. And I'm trying to outsource as many things as possible in my business right now. And the training process in outsourcing things takes more time. 
And that's sometimes hard to have bandwidth for, but I'm like ready to train other people to do more things now because I don't want to run this show on my own. And I do have help with different things, but I just need a wider range of help. I think this business has grown faster than I have ever expected. Yeah. We could do a whole other podcast on outsourcing your rural business. (laughs) Maybe we should. (laughs) I currently have a house cleaner. That's one of the reasons why I'm here in my bathroom, because one of the simplest things to outsource is household things. And I don't think that we should be ashamed of that. And I don't think that it should be a secret. And I know for a lot of people, they hold on to these things like this is their job and this is what they're supposed to do. But asking for help is probably one of the best things that you can do as a human. And I know there's a lot of people who struggle with that, including myself, but asking for help and it doesn't matter if it's in your business or in your household, it's always a good thing, I think. And you know what? Like I pay people well. I believe in paying people well. I'm not interested in paying minimum wage. That's not anything I want to do because yeah. And I just, in, when I hire people, I think too, how did I wish Marius would be treated when he was in the workforce? And I strive to be that employer. Yeah, for sure. Oh, so many good things. I could pick your brain on that for forever, <laughs> but uh, Kate, for the listeners who would like to connect with you and, or send you their resume, where can they find you online? I'm venison for dinner everywhere. I have a YouTube channel where I post a couple times a week. I have Instagram. I guess that's really the only social media I'm on. I don't, the other, maybe there is an account out there somewhere for other things, but I don't use them. And my blog is venisonfordinner.com as well. Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Rural Woman Podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Rural Woman Podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either. But in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman Podcast Studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon.